Lord, we thank you so much for uh, your kindness to us in Christ and that we have uh, so many blessings uh, because of what Christ did for us in dying in our place and rising again and uh, uniting us to him. And we thank you for the gift of your spirit and the gift of your word and pray that we would treasure those and seek to be filled with your spirit and uh, your word. And we pray tonight that as we open your word that you would help us to understand it and uh, to love it and to live um, by faith in what you tell us. And so we just ask for your help and uh, that you would help us to understand uh, these things and to love you more because of it and then to uh, believe it as we walk uh, through our lives. And so we ask for your help again and thank you for the requests that were shared for our church family and our missionaries and uh, we just pray that you would uh, help us to trust you in all these things. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so our class, Jesus, the man from heaven, uh, this is our third time together, and we have several objectives, things we're trying to accomplish in our, our study, and so we'll just run through those really quickly. Um, we've looked at this in more detail in past weeks. So we want to grow in our knowledge of Christ. So a study of Jesus should include learning more about Jesus. And we don't want it to stop there, though. We want uh, our knowledge of Jesus to grow into um, our understanding of how that affects our lives. So the truth of the gospel is, is that Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins and rose again. And now when we believe in him, uh, we're, we're united together with him and we receive uh, so many blessings as a result of, of that truth of us being united to him. And so it's easy just to, you know, learn facts about Jesus and to say, yeah, he's great, and to worship him. And that's really important, and we, we usually do that really well. Um, but the hope of this class is that we'll take that and take it a step further and say, okay, now how does that affect me when, um, you know, my kid is yelling at me at three in the morning because, you know, he needs to go to the bathroom or something, you know. Uh, in normal life, how does our knowledge of Jesus and our understanding of us being united to him changed the way we live our lives. And so that's the third point there is uh, living by faith in response to what we see is true of, of Jesus. And so tonight uh, we're going to be studying the relationship between Jesus and the Father. And we're going to look through uh, several theological considerations and then we'll split off into groups and have a time where we can uh, do Bible studies um, in our groups together. And so we'll begin uh, with the, the preliminary considerations, as you can see there. And so the first one is Son of God. So as we consider Jesus' relationship with the Father, the first thing we have to realize is that Jesus is God's Son. And um, as you see there in your blank, uh, he is the only begotten son of the Father. This is very significant because Jesus is the only person who is the only begotten son of the Father. And so this title denotes that Jesus is equal, has equal divine essence with the Father. So the idea of this is that God doesn't beget or, or something doesn't come from him that isn't like him. 
So a rabbit doesn't have a horse, a rabbit has a rabbit. And so Jesus is of the same essence as the Father. And people have gotten in trouble in the past because they read this and they say, well, Jesus can't be fully like God because he's the Son of God. He comes from God, so he must be less than God. And some theologies have even said that Jesus is the first created being of the Father. And so he's more like us than he is like God. And so we don't believe that. We believe that Jesus is a full member of uh, the triune God. So he possesses the full essence of godness, of being God. But he has um, a specific role that he fulfills within the Trinity uh, that doesn't change whether or not he's God. And so it's, it's an eternal ordering of the Father to the Son, that the Son, even though he's equal with the Father, he willingly submits himself to the Father's headship. And so that's kind of the, the second point we see here under Trinitarian ordering is uh, these two different ideas. And so I'll just give them to you here. Ontological and functional subordination. So what do these two things mean? Jesus is, so ontological, Jesus is not now, nor has he ever been ontologically, so in and of who he is, in his essence, he's never been subordinate to the Father. So this would be a denial of the Trinity and the divinity of Jesus. So forever, Jesus has been fully God. He's never um, been less of having the essence of God than the Father has. They're, They're equal in that regard. And so, secondly, there we see where, where comes in the only begotten and the, the ordering of the Trinity, the functional subordination of the Son. So, Jesus is functionally subordinate to the Father. So, we see that uh, the main passage we often look at is Philippians 2. So, this does not mean that Jesus is inferior in any way to the Father or that he has lost any of his deity. He is still fully God. And instead, it refers to his willing submission to the Father in how they function. And so as we think about the Trinity, there's these these two aspects of how uh, their relationship functions. There's both uh, that they're both fully God, but then there's the, the functional relationship where that's how they interact, is the Father submits himself, or sorry, the Son submits himself to the Father, and the Father has headship over the Son. And the Father doesn't demand it of the Son. The Son gives it willingly out of love for the Father. And so we, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but it's hard for us to understand the perfect communion and love that the Father and the Son and the Spirit have had forever and how it's just unadulterated, perfect fellowship, perfect love for one another. And we see some of these aspects um, in the way we are made, that we're made in the image of God. And so in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul talks about how uh, the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God, the Father. And so even in the way God has made us, we reflect uh, some of these ways uh, that, that God is. And it's not, uh, that isn't to put women down in the same way that God doesn't put Jesus down. They're, they're equal in value and worth but one willingly submits to the other 
in the way that God has designed it. And so we obviously see it in other ways with you know, a father and a son, that they're both people, they're both made in the image of God, Jesus died for both of them, but the father's role in a human perspective is to uh, raise up and have headship over his son and to help him learn and, and stuff like that. And so it's really cool because we get to mirror these things because God made us like himself. He made us in his image. And so we can reflect uh, some of these things in um, our own relationships um, because of the way God has made us and how he made the world. And so in, in these considerations of the Trinitarian ordering, uh, some people think that Jesus wasn't the Son of God, wasn't the only begotten of the Father until he was uh, born as a man. And so we, we would say that forever he's been uh, the Son of God, the only begotten of the Father, that that relationship is eternal. Um, that in the past, during his earthly ministry and in the future, they continue to function in this way where they um, have this eternal ordering. And so real quick, I just want to review uh, John 1, 1 with you. So if you turn over there, John does a great job of really simply highlighting their relationship. If it would help if I could find it, that would be, that'd be excellent. I'm stuck in Luke right now. So in John 1.1, 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word. And so we looked at that uh, a few weeks ago before uh, Christmas and New Year's, and we can remember there that Jesus has always been. Uh, before the beginning of the world, Jesus was there. And the Word was with God. And so we see there that in the beginning, Jesus was already with God. And we looked at how that Word uh, is in its simplest form, it means towards God, that, that the Son is looking towards the Father, and it describes their eternal, perfect relationship, that forever they've been with each other and been completely content uh, with each other's uh, fellowship. And then the third phrase there, and the Word was God. And so there again, we learn that Jesus shares the same essence. He is fully God himself, and so even though he is the son, that doesn't make him any less God. He is still fully God. And so the, the ideas in, in the blanks there is the father and the son are equal in essence. They're both fully God, and they have perfect fellowship forever. So as we look through these things, we, we should marvel at them and say, God is unlike any other thing ever. He is completely unique. He has unique fellowship with uh, the other members of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, they have unique relationships, even though we can reflect them in certain ways. And they have unique benefits that they, that they share together. And so all throughout John specifically, Jesus talks to individuals and speaks of the amazing things that come from his relationship with the Father. 
So recently we went through John as a church um, on Sunday mornings, and we got to see a lot of these things. But what's really cool that that Pastor Lance uh, realized and pointed out to me is that many of the things that Jesus says um, are a result of his relationship with the Father, Jesus at some point in John says, and so you. And so we see this pattern of Jesus and the Father have this uh, unique thing that's happening because of their relationship with each other as both being fully God. And then once we are united to Christ in the gospel, Jesus says, and now you get to participate in this as well. You get to participate in the same things that come from, that, that I have, that come from my communion with the Father, being his son. And so we're brought into this, this fellowship of the Trinity. And so we don't become gods, but we get to uh, participate in a lot of the benefits because we're united to God. Isn't that super cool? And so that's the study that we'll, we'll do here in a minute. We'll break off and do. And so I just want to run through that, uh, the first one together as a group. And so we'll start with kind of those two steps. You know, what is, what's described as the relationship between the Father and the Son? And then what does Jesus say about us then once we have faith in Christ? And what we, what we feel here uh, isn't always true. So Jesus says, this is true of you if you've believed in Jesus. But in our day-to-day lives, this doesn't feel true. It doesn't feel like we're united to Jesus. It doesn't feel like we have the benefits uh, that Jesus has with the Father. Uh, we don't feel that those things are reality for us. And so that's where we have to believe those things by faith and respond and say, Jesus says that this is true of me because of my union with him. And so I'm going to act on it by faith. And it begins to change the way we live ordinary life because we have now been brought into fellowship with the Trinity through Christ. So we're going to do number one together, and then we'll break off into groups. And at the end, there's three questions uh, that kind of get to that last point of how does this change the way we live? And we'll, we'll talk about that in the first one together first, though. Uh, so look at number one there. What aspect of the father and son's perfect relationship is described in John 1.14 and 1.18? So let's read those together. Uh, 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. And then in verse 18, No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten son, who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. And now we'll go back and read uh, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So what aspect of their relationship do we have the opportunity to become participants in because of our union with Christ from those verses? Yes, Brittany. Exactly. We become children of God. And so it's not exactly the same, right? We're not now the only begotten Son of God, and we're not the Son of God in the same sense Jesus is, but it says there in verse 12, those who uh, believe in his name receive the right to become the children of God. And so because of our faith in Jesus, we get to become God's children. And so Hebrews uh, talks about how, you know, Jesus 
is unashamed to call us brothers, and uh, we're brought into this relationship. Um, we don't become gods, but we, we get to participate because of our union with Christ. Uh, so now, so there, there's several of those. There's 10 of them that I'll have you guys do um, in your groups. But now I want to think about, you know, what it means. Do you mind helping me with these lines? What it means to live in response to being a child of God. And so this is going to help. This, this sheet here is going to, it's kind of a longer explanation of what it'll look like. But we'll kind of run through it together here. I need one, I guess. Perfect. <clears throat> so as you can see, the, the page that has the bold at the top and the, the darker background. So it brings into this idea that it's true that we are children of God if we've believed in Jesus. And so again, we're in this middle section, and a lot of our lives, it doesn't feel true of us. Okay. And so a lot of the times, I find myself acting like an orphan instead of a child of God. So it's true of me that I am a child of God, because I believed in Jesus and I'm united to Christ, and God is my Father, but I don't always act like it. And when I don't act like it, I'm saying, I'm forgetting that I'm a child of God, and instead of living my life like a child of God, I'm living my life like an orphan, like God isn't my Father. Um, and so you can see there the, the passages listed, uh, John 1.12 on the right that we've just read, and then John 14.18. Uh, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you, is what he says. And so what I think he means there, um, in a Romans 8 sense, is that when uh, Jesus leaves, he sends the Spirit who uh, identifies us as the children of God and shows that we are his um, adopted child. And so, uh, take it as you will, we're, we're either living as orphans or as a child of God. And so, I would say that when our lives look like the left column, we're living in unbelief in what God says is true of us in Christ and the gospel. And when we live like the right column, we're believing by faith that because I trust in Christ, it's true of me that I am a child of God and it will affect the way I live. So on the left side, orphans, I'm going to kind of jump back and forth because they're connected left to right. So orphans, if I try harder, God will love me. But a child of God believes that God loves me no matter what I do as his child. On the left, orphans, no one likes me. I'm all alone. And that child of God instead thinks, I have a father who will never leave me because he loves me. And so you can see just the simple change of perspective in believing that God is our Father and that the promises from Him are true. Uh, so orphans, if I wear the right clothes, watch the right movies, and act the right way, then I'll fit in and people will accept me. And then a child of God, I don't need for people to accept me because God accepts me no matter what I wear or watch or how cool I am. Uh, orphans, I said Three nice things today. I helped a friend and was kind to my brother. I deserve for someone to notice how good I have been. This just sounds like 
a little kid, doesn't it? Uh, child of God. I don't need to get noticed for the, thing, for the good things I do. God notices me. He counts me as righteous because of what Jesus did. Orphans. I really don't pray very much. I usually just try to solve my problems on my own. Child of God. I pray often. I trust my Father to help me. Orphan. I get jealous when other people get attention and I don't. Child of God. I'm happy when others get praise even if I don't. I already enjoy enough love from God. Orphan. Deep down, I want, to no- I want people to notice how good I am. Child of God. I want people to notice how good Jesus is. Orphan. Don't tell me what I need to do or how I should change. I know already. I can do it without you telling me. Child of God. I don't mind if you correct me or tell me I'm wrong. I know God loves me even though I sin and mess up lots. Orphan. I need to be first. I know it's selfish, but if I don't look out for myself, nobody will. Child of God. I think of others first. I don't need to put myself first because I know God will take care of me. Orphan. Sometimes I need to tell a few lies. If people knew the truth about me, I'd be too ashamed. Child of God. I tell the truth even when it's hard. I know God loves me no matter what. Orphan. Everyone is, I won't say this for the kid's sake, everyone is slow or not good looking. (laughs) Not me. I'm better and write more often. Did you notice? I really need for you to notice. Child of God. Yeah, I'm wrong a lot of the time. I admit it. And I like to point out when others are right. Child of God, or sorry, orphan. I'm scared to talk about Jesus. It's too personal. I might say the wrong thing or get a strange look. I I only do it if I absolutely have to. Child of God. I'm eager to tell others about Jesus, even if I don't always have the right words to say. Orphan. I have brains and skill. I have nice clothes, a car, and a good house. These things make me special. I'm worth something. Child of God. Only God satisfies my soul. I'm worth much because I'm his child. And so I don't know if any of those are helpful for you, but uh, I find myself saying similar things, maybe not out loud, but in my head. And I'm, I'm, what I'm admitting there is that I've forgotten my, the benefit of being a child of God because of my union with Christ. And so as you go through this study, uh, think through... Uh, in the text, you know, what, what is the relationship of the Father and the Son? How have I been brought into that? And then, even when it doesn't feel real, like, like it's true of me, how can I live that out by faith uh, that it is true of me? Hey guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, the groups on our Wednesday night were able to break up into smaller groups and Uh, spend their time studying these out together. So we just looked at uh, adoption uh, together, uh, that we have become a child of God. And now we're going to look at the other 10 aspects that we've chosen uh, to work through um, in this study. So I'll go ahead and read the verses for you, and you can kind of think to yourself uh, on the first question, you know, what aspect is this uh, describing between the Father and the Son's perfect relationship? And then the second question will be, um, how are we now partakers uh, in that aspect because of our union with Christ? So I'll begin by reading John 3.35. It states, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. And now I'll go ahead and read John 5, 
20 for you. Uh, it states, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. So those are two verses that describe uh, something perfect between the Father and the Son. And now we'll go ahead and turn over to John chapter 14, verse 21, and see, because of our union with Christ, how we are brought into uh, these same benefits that they share as being uh, both members of the Godhead. So in John 14 at 21, we read, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then we'll also read verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. And so, um, in these, in this first uh, one we looked at here together, we see that the Father and the Son experience perfect uh, love between the two of them. And then the amazing thing that happens because of our union with Christ is now the Father loves us like he loves the Son. He has shown the love of the son, his love for the Son to us as well. Okay, let's go to number three together. Uh, we'll go ahead and read John 10, 31 and 32. And remember, these first verses here are describing what's already occurring between the Father and the Son. So 10, 31 through 32. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father, for which of these works do you stone me? And then I'll skip down to verse 37 and read 38 as well. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. And so the... What do we see between the Father and the Son? What aspect of their relationship do we see there? Now let's jump over to John 14, verse 12, to see how our belief and union in Christ uh, brings us into this fellowship. Uh, John 14, 12 says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And so the, the perfect aspect we see between the Father and the Son in these verses is that Jesus does the very works of the Father. And so he perfectly reveals the Father to us. And then how are we brought into that? Uh, John 14, 12 shares that uh, the works that Jesus did, we also will do those works. We will do the works that Jesus has received from the Father. And so we have been brought into the work that God is doing. Okay, let's go to number four. Um, I'll read John 5, 22 through 23. And just remember that we're looking for what's going on between the Father and the Son in these verses. So John 5, 22 and 23. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And then we'll look at John 12, 26. 
uh, it reads, If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. And so we see uh, the honor of God highlighted throughout these verses and how uh, the father and the son have the same honor. And now the ones who follow Jesus and serve Jesus, those, those ones receive the honor of the father. And so we've, uh, we receive honor from God because of our status in Christ. Okay, uh, number five. Uh, John 5, 26. So what aspect do we see between the Father and the Son? It reads, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has, all, he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And then we'll jump over to John 6 and read verses 57 through 58. As the, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead, he who eats this bread will live forever. And so we see there that the, the Father has given life to the Son, and now we are given life because of our union with Christ. And so we get to experience the eternal, uh, looking forward, the eternal life uh, that God gives to those who are uh, united to his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, let's go to question number six. Um, so we'll look at John five thirty-six together. It says, but I have a greater witness than John's for the works which the father has given me to finish. The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And then we'll look at John 17, 18. And this will, this is the part that shows uh, how we are brought into this thing. So John 17, verse 18 says, As you, this is uh, Jesus praying to his Father, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And so, again, we see in the, the Father and Son's perfect relationship that Jesus is sent by the Father to accomplish the Father's mission. And now, since Jesus has gone away, he has sent us on that same mission. We have been brought into uh, the same mission that the Father sent the Son on. And so we are, are sent and another verse along those lines is John 20, 21, uh, which states here, So Jesus said to them, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. So we see that same idea there. Uh, question number seven. So we're going to go to John eight nineteen to see uh, the Father and Son's relationship. It says, Then they said to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And then to continue to look at their relationship, we'll look at John 10, 15. It states, As the father knows me, even so I know the father, and I lay down my life for my sheep, for the sheep. And then to look at how our 
uh, union with Christ brings us into this, we'll look at John 14, 7 through 11. It states, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it will be sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe in me, that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe in me for the sake of the works themselves. And so in these verses we see that Jesus perfectly knows the Father, and the Father perfectly knows the Son. And so to look at Jesus and his works is to look at the Father and to see what he is like. And so Jesus says here that um, now through our relationship with, with Christ, we are able to know the Father. And if we look back just a few verses before, um, we see in verse uh, 6 of chapter 14, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so because of our union with Christ, we're able now to come to the Father, to know the Father, and to see what he is like because we are united to Jesus. Number eight, and we're going to look at what aspect is described of the Father and Son's perfect relationship in John 12, 49, and verse 50. It states, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. What aspect of the Father and Son's perfect relationship is described there? And then we'll read John 15, 15 to see how we are brought into this through Christ. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. And then we'll also read chapter 17, verse 8. For I have given to them the words which you have given me. This is, again, Christ talking to his Father. And they have received them and have known surely that I come forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. And so what we see here is that Jesus speaks the very words of the Father. And so when we read uh, the scriptures, when we see Jesus doing works, we, we see what, God, what the Father is like as well. And it says here that the Father gave his words to the Son to speak. And Jesus says, I only speak the words of the Father. And then in John 17, we see that now that we are uh, believers in Christ and united to him, now Jesus has given us the words of the Father to speak. And so now it is our responsibility to speak the words of the Father. All right, number nine, what aspect do we see um, of Christ and the Father's relationship in John 17, 21 through 24? It states, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, 
and the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved me or have loved them as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. And then to see how we're brought into that, it's the same text. Uh, Christ has prayed that the, the oneness, the unity that the Father and the Son share in perfect Trinitarian relationship, he wants us to experience that same unity. And the only way we can do that is because we are all in Christ. That is what we share together and what we can be united as one in. Two more here to look at together. So what aspect is described between the Father and Son in John 14, 12? Uh, Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. And then if we just jump back a few verses, uh, we see how we are brought into this. Uh, so John 14, 1 through 6 says, uh, this is Christ speaking, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know this, the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so we see here that uh, Jesus goes to the Father and he has made a way, and through our union and belief in him, we are also able to go to the Father. Um, and so that's just a beautiful truth that we can hold on to, uh, that just like Christ went to the Father, uh, through him we're able also to go to the Father. Uh, let's go to our last one, number 11 here. Um, it asks, what aspect of the Father and Son's perfect relationship is described in John 17, 5? And so let's look at that verse together real quick. It says, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And so because of uh, the essence of them being God, they both share the same glory that God receives and deserves, and they share that glory, as Jesus said, before the world even was. And then if we jump down to verse 22 then, um, Jesus says, And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. And so Jesus is pointing to his disciples and saying, Lord, just as we share this glory and you've given me this glory, I now give this glory to my followers. And so it's again a beautiful picture of uh, what the, some of the benefits that we have um, that Jesus and the Father experience that we're able to participate in because of 
uh, Christ's sacrifice in our place and his resurrection. And when we believe in him, we are united to him. And we get to take part in those as well. And so we've looked at these 11 things together. And the first one, being a child of God, we, we looked uh, kind of to the now what um, earlier on. And so I just want to challenge you with the, the other 10 or even the first one uh, to think through uh, not just these things that we believe are true, but how they affect our lives. So the first question is, which of the above aspects of the father and son's relationship struck you most? Which one of those did you, did you hear and you said, wow, that's amazing that God would allow a sinner like me to participate in these amazing blessings? So which one of those aspects struck you most? Second question to think through is how might remembering these blessings we have through our union with Jesus affect the way you live? And so we had a, a good example of that earlier in the comparison of uh, someone who is living like they're an orphan and someone who's living like they're a child of God. So it affects the way we think, our attitude, uh, what we desire, um, what we hold and high esteem and value. And so think through, uh, you know, whichever one of those struck you, how does that change the way I live and think because I have this benefit uh, through my union with Christ that I don't deserve? And then the last question to consider is, what must we do to live by these truths? So this is a more practical question of uh, in, in the in and out of day-to-day -day life, how can I remember the blessings that I have through my union with Christ? How can I think back and, and consider these things and uh, in the, the heat of the moment when I'm tempted to give in to despair or discontentment or anger, how can I dwell on the truth of who I am in Christ and let that change uh, what I do in a given situation? And so that might be different for all of you. I think one helpful thing uh, is just to have a, a, a normal humility to your life where you're willing to listen uh, to others as they confront you in, in, your, in your sin or in your poor responses. And just to be able to, to take that at face value and say, thank you for asking me about why I responded that way, because I don't want to act that way as a, as a follower of Christ because of the truth that I am a child of God, that I can trust in my Father no matter what uh, the, the situations of life may bring. We didn't cover um, all of the aspects uh, that we are able to participate to some level in because of our union with Christ. So I'd always encourage you to do more study on your own and even in the book of John to uh, read through it with this in mind and to see if you can catch any more things that are described in the book um, between the Father and the Son and then later that the Son says that have been granted to us because of our faith in Him. I just encourage you to, to continue to consider uh, these benefits uh, that we get to participate in through our union with Christ and how that changes your life as you believe in the Son that the Father sent. And we just get to uh, you know, every day is an opportunity to enjoy life as God intends it for us and how we can live so much differently because we are united to the only begotten Son of the Father. 
And so my prayer for you is that you would uh, love Christ more because of this, and that also you would trust him more as you see uh, his relationship with the Father and how uh, he did all these things so that we could be united to him, he could be glorified, and we could um, experience these divine blessings uh, from the Father and the Son and the Spirit. So I pray for you this week that you would trust in the Lord more and that you would find him faithful to lean upon in the moments of life. So thank you for tuning in this week. Uh, I hope that you'll uh, be able to listen again and benefit in your walk with the Lord. Uh, Thank you and have a great week.